Welcome to Behavioral Health in the New Normal, a podcast developed by Prestige Community Resources, aimed at bringing healing back to our community through knowledge, expert advice, and positive messaging. The show is a joint venture between the Department of Behavioral Health and Prestige Community Resources, funded by SAMHSA in response to the challenges currently impacting our communities. Hosted by Paul Wells Sr., who uses over 30 years of extensive clinical social work experience to conduct insightful interviews with experts and professionals on a wide range of topics that impact the Washington, D.C. community. From behavioral health crisis to education to financial hardship and anything in between, this show will provide information and insights that will surely make a difference in your life. Welcome the podcast series that's offered by Prestige Resource Community Resources. And I'm so excited today to welcome our guest and colleague in support services, Ms. LaMonica Jeffrey. LaMonica Jeffrey, welcome. Thank you. Thank we're you so for having gl- me. We're so glad to have you. Today, we're going to focus on peer support services, grassroots services, community-based services, And there's a lot of information we want to get out to the community about how this works, uh, particularly from an advocacy standpoint. And so let me tell the audience a little bit about you, and then I'm going to really let you introduce yourself. Uh, LaMonica is a strong advocate, and she operates a peer and recovery support center in the District of Columbia called Revise, Inc. Revise is located, I think, in Ward 5. Is that right? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. As a family support specialist, a recovery coach, a group facilitator, and a speaker, LaMonica spends much of her time advocating for family supports, substance abuse competency, definitely want to hear more about that, access and collective knowledge around substance use, recovery, its stages, and its effects. So I would have to just uh, constitute you as an expert. And so tell us, LaMonica, a little bit about you. Let's start with you personally. Where'd you grow up? And what's, what were your early experiences uh, in the District of Columbia? So thank you for the introduction also, Paul. So I grew up in um, Adams Morgan area uh, in D.C. And so I'm a 70s baby. I was born in 71. I'll be AARP next year. Yay, 50 years old. That's right. I pray that I make that. And um, I was raised by my grandmother. So I'm going to weave some of the reasons why, you know, I've gotten into this work unbeknown to me, right, yeah. in my story of my upbringing. So I come from a pretty much drug-addicted family. Of course, I didn't realize that as a child that I was in a drug-addicted family. But in hindsight, looking back, I'm letting you guys know that, you know, uh, most of my family members, my immediate family members were addicted to drugs. I lost my mother at 14 years old. She was um, died of an overdose. And then my aunt followed her. She died of an overdose after being in recovery for about maybe 15 years or so and doing well. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, in the midst of all these things in my life and, and growing up, I had no idea what was happening around me. I don't even know if I cared about what was happening around me or if I wanted to pay attention to what was happening around me. Mm-hmm. But I went to um, H.D. Cook Elementary School. Then at 12 years old, we moved to Anacostia. Total different area. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it's like I moved from a bright light area to a more enclosed space. So at 12 years old was when puberty was about to take place. So, you know, of course, I'm experiencing so many different things and I'm meeting different people, different culture, 
you know, so, you know, I'm, I'm figuring out how will I fit in. And so I, I did that, <laughs> became this great actress, fit in and, um, you know, wind up being accepted over in Southeast where I was introduced to um, drug usage myself at about age 15. And so, like I said, I lost my mother at 14 and I, I was living in Southeast and Anacostia area at that time. And, um, you know, my journey pretty much and my story pretty much takes off from there. So that's pretty much my childhood. I dropped out of school in the ninth grade at Anacostia. Mm -hmm. I went for one day. That was the end of that. I got a job at Burger King at LaFont Plaza and, you know, just mm -hmm. lost and trying to find my way and, you know, just a whole host of stuff. And a lot of people can relate to that because they know what that's like. Yeah, a lot of people can relate to that. And I can relate to that. When you describe that you had to fit in, and I imagine you worked hard to fit in, to accommodate the backdrop, to, to merge your former self into your new existence in Anacostia, what did it take to, to fit in? What, what kinds of activities did that require? So first of all, for me, I definitely remember um, going to a new school. So I, I attended Moton Middle School at the time. It was Moton Middle School. It went from the fourth grade to the seventh grade. And so, um, you know, I have met friends in my neighborhood. Right. So I had to pretty much give up everything that I knew. Northwest mm. was drastically different than Southeast. So yeah. things that held me together like Double Dutch. I was the number one champion Double Dutch jumper in D.C. And um, I will always make it to the championship every year and win first place. So, you know, they had something called Jumbo for Heart. I'm like, this is not it. Right, you know, this right. is not going to work for me. So right. I had I, I had to leave my comfort zone and pretty much drop everything and kind of um you know get into things that I didn't I wasn't aware of that wasn't gonna you know reward me or any kind of way or make me feel confident in who I was. So they didn't have a lot in Southeast. And it's it's funny, like just right now I'm noticing how the different changes in Northwest led us to have to move to Southeast because she couldn't afford the rent anymore. That's right, that's right. And so, you know, and it's like that moment just happened but nevertheless fitting in and, and being in Anacostia I just had to observe and go along with the program that's right you know, of, of my friends I had to talk like them I had to walk like them I had to act like them and that is where I joined a gang called the Lady Chronicles so the male version of that was called the Gangster Chronicles and the female version of that was called the Lady Chronicles yeah. and I was called the girl DC Monty and the guy DC Monty used to write his name everywhere and little yeah. <laughs> So this was me, you know, right. trying to figure out who I am. And mm -hmm. I didn't really have much time to figure out who I am because I had to be who everybody else wanted me to be, or I had to be that person who didn't want to look or feel different than anybody else because I didn't want to get beat up. Yeah. <laughs> Now, you talked about, and it's so true, just about the cultural relevance and how D.C. is a special place in terms of how treatment is delivered and how treatment is received. You know, I worked in mandated treatment for many years, and I worked with offenders all throughout the nation. And one thing we know about Bureau of Prisons is they're very uh, aware of the D.C. inmates and the energies that they bring to the institution. And the challenge is that is because there's that bravado, they, they bring a lot of noise sometimes, and they group up, uh, and they're sometimes described as hard to manage in the institution. That DC mindset is so unique, and the treatment provider needs to really be aware of it. 
And I tell new practitioners who have moved into DC, it's one thing to know treatment, but do you understand the DC experience? You also described how DC is so clustered now that the, your orientation and awareness of living in DC is so different if you live in upper Northwest versus Northeast extended or in Anacostia. And when I think about the treatment providers, they need to offer some sensitivity to where the person is coming from. You know, the first rule of social work is you go where the person is. You start where the person is. And so treating someone who grew up in upper Northwest Wisconsin Avenue is a different experience and different requirements as opposed to someone who's living in Southwest DC. And so you kind of spoke to that, that you had to accommodate and adapt to that environment uh, just to survive. And in that respect, you had to kind of learn different behaviors, different attitudes. Uh, yeah, and, and I hear you. So how does that translate, LaMonica, to your recovery journey and you wanting to provide services to people? How did you get here from there? So thanks for that question. Mm -hmm. So I got here and, and a lot of it, I almost can't remember, right? Wow. So I've always had a passion for people. Mm -hmm. I've always had a passion for all living things, right? And I can distinctly remember how I felt about everything around age six, seven, eight. Like I've had that, yeah. but I've gotten away from that. So we That's get away right. from so many things, right? Mm -hmm. So get this, got away from it. Got all right. jumbled up in life. That's tried right. to do what I needed to do, right? Got away from the spiritual aspect of who mm. I was. And so I remember, I remember walking down the street one day and this bird was hurt. I feel so bad for this bird and I just wanted to help and save this bird. Like I had a deep, deep connection with that bird. Yeah. Okay, stay right there. That's stay right. there. Remember that bird. Mm -hmm. So, you know, life happened and I lived through that happening. Yeah. Uh, you know, a portion of my life. Made it. Thank God. And um, I got older. I had children. Mm -hmm. Things began to affect me. In my family, the same way that I was affected, yeah. but I never knew I was affected. That's right. It wasn't until I played out the role of being a mother, yeah. of being a wife, that. that I knew I was just like where I come from. So, wow. Paul, this starts at home. This starts in the environment that we in. Yeah. We are shown how to act, how to treat people. We are Learn. shown what to do in life. Learn behavior. Learn behavior. And, and that's right. And subconsciously, mm. you will play out that role in your life as a human being. And that's why you hear people say, I don't know why I do what I do. That's right. Because nobody's talking to them about the tape that's always rolling in the background. Right. That's right. So I got here because I couldn't take it no more. My what, nerves what, what, couldn't take it. What, what couldn't you take? What 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 was so the condition? I couldn't take the stress that my I got older and my body started feeling the physical aspects of what my life was. And I got tired of feeling depressed. I got tired of feeling tired. I got tired of having the same people around me and the same things kept happening every day. Right? Even if I met new people, they was the same. Because I was the same person. So right, I wherever. said, well, God, I want mm -hmm. to change who I am so I can get some newness in my life. So I had to reach back and figure out how did I do, how do I do this? So I started being connected to things that were inspirational and mm -hmm. figuring out how people got from here to there 
And this is where the peer work come in at, right? Okay. So I had to figure out how people got from there, from here to there, right? And that, that was some hard work. And I imagine you you weren't able to do that, take that inventory and go through that experience by yourself. You needed by to myself. Die, didn't you? You, you did it by yourself? All by myself. Without a coach, without a guy, without a counselor, without a therapist. Without any one of those things, I did it by myself. So let me tell you. Come on. I feel like peer work was developed off of what people already was out here doing. That's right. So just like I feel like Twitter was developed because so many followers already are in existence. So all Mm -hmm. they did was put it on a virtual platform and just let people follow people virtually. Mm -hmm. Same thing Mm -hmm. with peer work. So peer work has been around, in my opinion, since God knows when. It sure has. I can credit all the strangers in my life to where I am today. Because people would would come up to me and say things to me, and I didn't know what to do with that then. It was something that I needed later. So I had to go back and pick up all those breadcrumbs people left behind. And I stopped piecing my life together. And I respect the, the journey. And I, I respect the motivation to change and the desire to want something different for yourself and the courage it took to rethink, re- dismantle re- and reconcile some of the pain and trauma that you've experienced in life. It would have been so much easier, I imagine, if you had direct exposure to a peer support specialist who could kind of help you accelerate the process and you wouldn't have to bump your head quite as many times as I'm sure you did to try to get it right. And I think you're speaking about the value of peer support and that someone who's already right. gone through this transformation process, who's come from a similar experience, who has a formula that they're willing to offer to you for free. They got the formula. That's right. Right. Is that That's the right. value of peer support? That's the value of peer support. Look at and, that. and I was saying previously Peer support to me was developed, was made up from what people were already doing. It was in your natural environment. It was always there. It was always there because somebody helped me, but it just wasn't, it just wasn't packaged as in terms Mm -hmm. of of somebody naming it peer support. So there were people who had been where I wanted to go. There were people who have been, will see me and say, I see you. You were where I was when I was young. You need to stop. You're different from the rest of them. I was pointed out of the crowd, Paul. Peer support was in my life. And that's why I honor and take on this role as peer support. And I am thankful that I went through the journey and bumped my head as many times that I did because I am an awesome peer supporter. Because I know what it takes to go back in there and do the work. Because you have to go back in there for anybody that's willing to do that. For anybody that's willing to heal, you have to go back in there and you have to do that work. So I'm thankful for my journey. And I'm thankful that I had to do this the hard way because I know I have more information about healing. Absolutely. And it's reliable information. It's accurate information. And you went through a divine experience, right? You you said, I went through, I went the long way, the difficult road, but it matured me in such a way that now I can really be a beckon of hope for other people and an effective guide to help them navigate, navigate out of their pain, out of their experience. You know, you talked about that depression. You talked about, I heard you say it. In recovery, they talk about you have to hit a bottom. And, and sometimes the bottom isn't a physical bottom, meaning arrest or I lose my home. A lot of times it's an emotional bottom. 
that I get to this point of despair that is so overwhelming that the only option I have is either to fix it Mm. or to allow it to take me out of here. Mm. And so you made a decision at some point that, you know what, I got to fight back. First of all, I got to break this cycle and this transfer of pathology from my family. It keeps going from generation to generation. And I have to be that change agent to stop this transfer. And so you did your research, you explored. Isn't it interesting how the in our natural support system, there are people always available to give us information if we would just be available to hear it? And sometimes it takes us to hit yes. the bottom before we can hear anything, right? Pain produces sometimes the best results that you can imagine. So tell me, man, I'm excited and I hear your passion. Tell me about this Revived Inc., uh, this peer-run and operator support center you developed in D.C. Tell me about yes. that. So Revised Inc. was founded in 2013 while I was just laying around in the house. So a little backstory. I lost my daughter to suicide in 2016, June the 4th of 2016, suicide mm-hmm. by hanging. And that happened on the day of her release. So mm-hmm. you can feel free to invite me to another one of your episodes when you talk about the justice system and how yes. people drop the ball. Yes. And the ball is still being dropped currently too, Paul. So let's, I don't want to go into that territory right. right now. Let me well, stay with well, the peer well. operating center. So mm-hmm. yeah, it derived out of that. So after the death of my daughter, I was mute and um, I don't have a lot of memory of, I just don't have a lot of memory. When of you say, when you say you were mute, you completely shut down? Completely shut down verbally, everything. So okay. I had to, I had to write when I had to go to the bathroom. I had to yeah. write to tell people hello on the phone. Like I had, I still have the book. Um, yes. It wasn't a long. And then next thing I know, I was running for A&C and I'm like, well, how did that happen? So not only do I not have a memory of it, but it's crazy because my husband don't have a memory of, of how that I got there. And so just a lot of things built up in me, right? Because mm-hmm. I always been an angry person. So I had a lot of anger and frustration. I was that girl, right? Pissed off at everything. I, I just didn't, you know, but I always got upset about this when you bullied the small guy. So mm-hmm. I was always an advocate for the small yeah, guy. Sure. I, I never went along with things, you know, that people did to hurt other people because I felt like I was that person. And when I discovered my voice, I started using it. And then I started using it on behalf of others. And so Revised Inc. was established in 2016 in November. And the reason why I chose the name Revised is because you can't, you know, you cannot start your life over, but you can rewrite some of the things in your life. So, you know, you don't have to take the story and ball it up and throw it in the trash. We're just going to make some changes. We're just going to revise some, some stuff. We're going to make some modifications. Modifications. We're going to revise some things, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so that's, I like that because I had to do that. I had to revise some things in my life and make some new changes and move forward. And it was that simple. So revising is the name and making changes moving forward is the tagline. Simple. And Nike, just do it really uh, was something that always stuck in my head. And it, I never knew what that meant. Didn't care yeah. about it, looked at it, seen the words, but yeah. then it began to mean something to me. Once you grow and develop yourself, mm-hmm. you start seeing things differently. That's right. They have meaning. That's Everything right. wind up having meaning. Yeah. yeah. Can you tell our audience, what does the peer support worker do? How do they or deliver the service, coordinate the services? What's their job description? So audience, 
peer support workers will, when you're ready, say, hey, share with you some of the journey of their life that they have been on. They will provide or assist you with resources that you need because they've utilized most or all of them or mm -hmm. know how to tap into those resources to give you, once you develop your person or family center plan and say, hey, I've always wanted to do this or I need help with that. So we mm -hmm. will be we're like resource brokers. We're your cheerleader on the sideline. Yeah. And we also need you to turn your head left and right and know that we were where you were, but you need, we reaching our hand out to you so you can cross over here. Yeah. And you know, we are here. This is where you can be. Because remember, we were there. Because right. a, lot of, a lot of people don't think that, you know, they think their life is so bad. Oh, I, I know. I know you, you you saying you did this. But I, for me, you know, for me, the way I do my peer work, right, every peer support is not created equal. That's right. But I like, to, I like for us to work on forgiveness. Mm. That was my breakthrough. And once you give that up, you free yourself to do anything that you are destined to do. Right. Anything that you want to do. So, you know, when I do my peer work, I try to be tricky about getting people involved in their past and, mm. and their traumas and talking about, you know, forgiveness. And I try to do that in a way that it's not therapy and I'm not crossing the line. Right. You know, just putting it on you to, to come clean. And yeah. so I use a lot of me, you know, I use my open book stories to, to deliver mm. that information yeah. and make them um, interesting. How do you prepare your peer specialist? I mean, what's, do, you, do they receive an orientation? Do you supervise them? How, how does a peer specialist become equipped with a, a basic skill level? One thing I, I know about treatment, especially from, from a substance abuse treatment perspective, as it relates to people in recovery. And I tell my interns from Howard University and some of the other universities that you have to make sure your stuff is settled enough to be able to help someone else. Mm. We know that this field draws people who have had pain experience. You know, it invites us in. We want to help other people, especially if we've surrendered and recovered and reconciled some of our pain. But our stuff has to be pretty intact and stable before we can help someone else. So how do you prepare or encourage peer specialists to in the best position to help others. So we do have an orientation. So peer workers come certified by DC Department of Behavior Health. So they have okay. gone through a training. Okay. They have um gone through 80 hours of um working in the field, you know, just to get their, their feet wet. But to be honest with you, all peers are not ready for this work. Right? right. And they just they just it's just the truth. It's they're not. And it's sad because you know as much as we want to hype uh, the peer work up it is an awesome field mm -hmm. and it is very much evidence-based proven to be very effective but we can't just put anybody out there just to say we got these numbers or we're doing this we got this many people trained in the district we, we can't do that because that is not helping the yeah. community and so for revised inc we do train uh, we do orientate very our peers good. around you know this work and we also personally set up a um give each individual employee a self-care checklist yeah. and they they are to put down and let us know you know what they like what they don't like what will you know open up a can of worms for them like this they fill out this guide and they turn it back in to me or 
my assistant, and then we look over it to assist them and make sure we put them in the right places, right? Yeah. Because some people will say, well, they're not ready to be in this place. So for instance, I like to use what you have as a gift or you feel as though as a gift and not just put people anywhere because that's not right. going to work for Revive Sigma. That's it's right. not going to work for people. Yeah. So we name our peer support specialists. So for instance, we have an art peer support specialist because art is how this woman recovered. Mm-hmm. One of our employees, you know, recovered. And mm-hmm. so we made her the art peer support specialist. And that's simply because she can tell her story about how art, you know, got her into recovery. And mm-hmm. it was unbeknown to her. Absolutely. She she had no idea that art was going to be that thing. She never knew it. Absolutely. So, yeah. So it, it does sound like you're very aware of the strengths that your peer workers present with. And it's obvious, too, that you try to match up service meaning the client or the consumer with the best prepared or equally prepared staff person and you are sensitive that's that many of your staff ha- have to receive some orientation and there has to be some expectation around how they deliver the service another rule of social work is not to cause one pain there's an obligation that we don't inflict more injury through reckless intervention right so I, I really support and applaud you for having your staff do self-checks, making sure that they're attuned and aware of their limitations, right? And a limitation might just be that there's, there's certain topics and issues that are just too big for me right now to support someone else in because I'm still struggling with it, right? And so I applaud you. Let me ask you this. You know, there are so many treatment models around how to treat someone with substance abuse. There's the medical model, there's a vitamin deficiency model, there's a learning theory model. I mean, there's just so many different theories. Let me ask you a question. What is your thoughts or or notion about the cause of substance abuse? Why does an individual uh, become compromised by drug use? Do you have some thoughts on that? Pain, Paul. Pain. You said it. Pain. Pain. When I cut myself, that's trauma to my body. It hurts. Mm. I need medicine. I need to get rid of this pain, Paul. When you hurt my spirit or my emotions, it hurts. So somebody introduced me to something. I tried it. And wow, this is interesting. It gets rid of the pain. And so if I try many things, then I can choose which thing I like the best. And then that becomes my drug of choice. And I got something to get rid of the pain because every day I wake up, although I smile, people don't know that I think about that molestation. I think about that rape. I think about watching my family abused. So I need something to help me alleviate this pain because people don't know what I go through and I'm holding it inside. Pain, Paul. You're right on the money with that. Trauma. You know, this whole trauma stuff, you know, the trauma work, PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorders was uh, originally reserved for combat veterans, right? So that's where the focus began. And we knew that veterans in combat came back because of uh, exposure to trauma. But what we are recognizing, as you so appropriately said, is that living in an urban context, there's trauma injuries that happen that we begin to normalize and don't, don't even realize it's trauma that's impacted me and is driving my dysfunctional behavior. We're traumatized by some of the experiences we've had to endure. We haven't talked about it, right? We don't tell people about it, but 
be endured and it comes out through substance abuse, poor mental health, poor health, poor decisions and relationships. Oh man, there's, there's, there's a menu of things that become very destructive in our lives as a result of the trauma that we've experienced. Listen, does treatment work? I mean, does treatment in DC work? Does treatment, and I'm talking about really substance abuse treatment programs, do they address the trauma? Are they designed and equipped? Oh, I'm so glad you asked. No, 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 no. They do not address the trauma. Mm. Every meeting that I get on, yeah. you know how they photobomb pictures, people getting pictures of our meeting bomb meetings. So they could be talking about spaghetti and meatballs and I'll right. talk about trauma in the chat box since we That's virtual right. and don't nobody want to talk about the elephant in the room. Yeah. I talk about the elephant in the room. Yeah. So nobody talks about trauma just like they don't talk about youth and substance abuse. And you know why? Because they don't know what to do about it. Yeah. They don't know what to do about it. And and the sad part about it is that the trauma causes additional trauma in the young people that's at home or the people in the neighborhood that's into the kids. The trauma you're handing it down. Yeah. So the it young does. people are inheriting the trauma um based on the behavior that they see you with. So we just walking around just demonstrating, you know, what to do when we're in pain, how to get along with people when we don't things don't go our way, just argue about it. We yeah. demonstrate that to our kids. So it's yeah. a lot of, you know, things that we have to do to help. But the government and rules, well, yeah, let's talk about the government because mm -hmm. the government is the they, they umbrella over us all in the District of Columbia, our local government politicians. And you got to talk about people don't like talking about it because they most of them work for them. That's but right. I don't work for them, and I'm thankful that I don't. I quit yeah. federal government just so I can say what I want to say. It, it gives you because a freedom. I, somebody got to tell the truth. That's right. Gives That's you a right. freedom to be honest about the circumstance and the condition that we are faced with, That's which right. is real. That's real talk we're talking about. Don't nobody want to talk about it. Yeah. They don't want to talk about it. Yeah. You know, I, I'm hoping that the treatment providers who get a chance to listen to this podcast really appreciate what you've said that in order to help people successfully recover, we have to deal with the core issue. And that takes a skilled clinician who is bold. You know, I tell my staff, you can't be a punk and do treatment. You, you got to be tough and you got to be willing to tolerate any expression that comes up in either in the group room or in the individual counseling seat, because it's th those expressions of pain and desperation that unlock recovery. We got to deal with that. And in our community, I'm going to say our community, the African-American community, we still are stigmatized and we still don't have the courage that we need to enter treatment boldly, to raise our hand and say, you know what? My depression is overwhelming. My anxiety is out of control. My trauma has got the best of me. I need some help. So well, I am going to have you back. There's no doubt you're coming back because I want to hear more about criminal justice and the services they provide for reentrance and the preventive services, if there is any, help particularly our young adults do a detour around D.C. jail. We don't want that to be the destination route for our young men and women in the District of Columbia. Listen, in this last couple of minutes, you know, we have to talk about this pandemic. Got to talk about it because it's real. And everything that we used to do, we now have to do differently. And from a treatment perspective, and I know in your program and your agency, you've had to make adjustments now to keep yourself safe, your staff safe, and the consumers who, who benefit from your support. 
So what's different now at Revise, now that there's a pandemic? Do you have to operate differently now? We do. So let me let you know, we are new. So um, we are grant funded, mm-hmm. but then Orpio grant to support the Live Long DC that the mayor has her initiative. So we are very new. This is our first grant, so we were able to do more things. We went into it hard, right? And so we winded up on Zoom okay. for a while. And then yeah. we, we said, no, we got to go outside and wow. do some outreach. Okay. So I'd rather be out in the air, you know, in the yeah. opening Absolutely. And, and do what I can do than to be enclosed in a space. Yeah. But we went outside and we attempted to get people to go along with the social distancing mm-hmm. and things of that nature and, you know, did the best we could under circumstances. But what we did was we started moving to um, online groups. And so by way of Eventbrite, people were able to come on Very good. and participate in those groups. Very good. But prior to that, we sent out letters to other nonprofits and mm-hmm. organizations, core service agencies, and say, hey, if you have any consumer, because we knew that they couldn't see people and we were getting a lot of people who were saying, I can't get in touch with my case manager. I can't do this and that right. and that. So people were just flying under the radar on their little jobs. That's right. Oh, I get to work at home. That's everybody's dream, work at home. And they were really flying under this radar. And these people were out here hurting, right? So I had people up 800 um, Martin King Avenue. Mm-hmm. And it was like, I can't get in touch with my um, case manager. And they just felt left out and just, yeah. you know, like it's in the middle of nowhere. You know, so we sent letters out letting other organizations know for free mm-hmm. to to send your consumers over and we will serve them online. So okay, I wanted okay. to, us to all share our resources yeah. so that we can help people on a larger scale. That's oh right. my God, Paul, why is that hard to do? This yeah. is not a competition. Yeah. Is that a competition? Look at that. But the design but some, some people can't has- come over. Yeah, yeah. Well, I respect the invitations you offered and, and the complications that came with that because historically, the treatment vendor experience has been very competitive, right? There's We have limited resources. We're all trying to get a piece of that resource, and therefore, we're competing against the other support systems. But the power and the magic would be in the collaboration, shared resources, shared thinking, Shared yes. involvement, shared commitment to a common good, and I think yes. that's what you're 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 advocating for, and you're you're really stressing of not only within your agency but throughout the District of Columbia. La Monica Jeffrey, man, I'm feeling you today. This has been a, a wonderful experience. There's so much more information I want you to share. We have to have you come back. Yes, your passion, absolutely. Your passion and commitment is undeniable. Thank you. And, you know, this is this is what I believe. I've been doing treatment about 30 years and and um, I don't believe that we choose this work. I think we're chosen to do it. and chosen by a set of experiences that some people can't even imagine would have produced this result. It may not be what I want to be, but I'm sure not what I used to be. And Ooh, if you, you said I would be. Oh, come on now. Mm. And, if you, and if you don't notice the change, a matter of fact, if you don't see my former self, then I must be doing it right because I mm. don't think the way I used to think. This has been exciting. Man, we got to get you on the schedule. Matter of fact, I'm looking at the calendar now where we can get you to come right back. But uh, I say one thing, Paul, and I please. say one thing. So for all the other organizations and agencies out there, 
Don't be afraid to accept help from peer support centers because we don't bill Medicaid. You can have your dollar. We just want to help. So okay, you can okay. keep your dollar. So if you were ever afraid that we were taking your consumers or clients that I call people, we're not. We just wanted to give away our resources on top of yours to keep people engaged. But we had things that we were able to offer, such as gift cards and PPE and right. you know things like that. And right. and you could have still built your Medicaid. We don't right. have your Medicaid. Right. We just wanted to come in and help, so the people would be more willing to come under this uh, the auspices of this pandemic, you know, and have something to look forward when they get there, and not just yeah. an appointment, but walk away with something physical. I'm so glad you highlighted that. So for agencies to collaborate and work with you, there's no cost. There's no, no. cost. So there should be no reluctance to invite you and your team in to help supplement and support their ongoing services. And it's a viable service that you're providing. Yeah, and I want to give a shout out to Prestige. Please. We collaborated. Okay. I came over. We did an outreach. Yeah. Consumers got gift cards. The place was packed. The director hmm. was floored, okay? Because yeah. we buy Inc. came in. Real Barnett came in. We got together and we did that. I want to yeah. give a shout out to Hips. Yeah. For the, the outreach event that we did. Yeah. Their numbers skyrocketed and more people took the initiative to get tested. People were excited about yeah. their results because they was afraid. And Press I want to give a shout out to Eakin Health Options as well. Thank you for sending your consumers over, mm. your clients that I call people over to us and we being able to serve them. Thank yeah. you for your yeah. collaboration. Yeah. Miss Jeffrey, I, I don't even want to conclude this podcast. We me go on either, because I could talk about this all day. Let me, let me, let me do this. Can you share with us your contact information? How can people get in touch with you? Because I know what, once this gets broadcast, your lines are going to blow up. What's the best way to, to reach out to you? So uh, my number is 202-769-3200. And my email address is lamonica, L-A-M-O-N-I-C-A, at revise, R-E-V-I-S-E, Inc., I-N-C, dot org. Okay. Lamonica, in closing, what do your friends call you? Ah, you do not. I used to tell everybody my name was Monica because I hated Lamonica. My name was Lamonica. Oh, yeah, I did. Really? Okay. I, I believe Lamont is a beautiful name. Yeah. 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 I didn't hate the name. I hated the girl. Yeah. So that's a Look whole nother podcast, Paul. Yeah. Please do one on personal development. I think I think that's podcast number three. We, we're going to do a series. You think I'm playing? You think I'm playing? We're going to have you back and it's going to be real soon. Uh, Miss Jeffrey, we wish that you continue to impact the community. We uh, are praying for your that you will be sustained sustained in your energy and that you have the stamina to uh, undergird your commitment. Um, again, your passion is undeniable. So I thank you. And I thank you on the behalf of families, children, citizens of the District of Columbia, and really of, as representative of someone who lives in the United States of America. Because I think you have a model and a package that if we can uh, duplicate in different places, healing can manifest itself. And we might mess around and get people clean and sober at the same time. So thank mm. you. Thank you. Thank you. Yes. And um, you're going to hear from us soon. Thank you. You have a good day. Okay. Thank you for having me. Take care and be safe.
This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.